Please fasten your seatbelts. The skies are rough and our two pilots have no idea where they're going. So kick back, relax, and enjoy your flight on no blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. Putin did not declare a war on Ukraine. Putin declared a war on the Western world. Once again, with all its flaws, but still certain values and beliefs. He wants to reshape the world, and Ukraine is just a first step. So we need to stop him here, uh, and we will stop him here. This is the fight of the free world against tyranny. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of No Blackout Dates. I'm Evan. I'm Tim. We've got a really good and slightly different episode for you guys today. Vladislav Stadnik lives in Kiev, Ukraine, and he's been fundraising for the Ukrainian military for the past eight years. He's been a major player in grassroots fundraising since the Russian invasion of Ukraine this past February, and he's here to talk to us all about what's going on over there and how you guys can help. Right, and this will be the final episode of Season 2 of No Blackout Dates. Due to the nature of today's interview, we didn't feel it was necessary or appropriate to add a hot takes or news of the day segment, so we're going to skip both of those and get right in with the interview. We also wanted to thank Vlad for being so open and honest with us, and we hope that this episode will serve as a preview of what you can expect with Season 3 of No Blackout Dates coming this fall. Vladislav Stadnik is a Ukrainian citizen who's been fundraising for the Ukrainian army for the past eight years. In the wake of Russia's recent invasion, he's really ratcheted up his efforts, launching Steel Wings, a charity to raise money for drones, equipment, and repairs for use on the front lines. He's doing some really great work, and we're glad he's here to shed some light on the ongoing conflict and how you can get involved. Vlad, thanks for joining us. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's, a, it's an honor and pleasure. So talk about the mood in Ukraine, I guess, just before the invasion. Was it considered somewhat of a inevitability or did the invasion really take people unaware and by surprise? Um, I guess there's a mix of feelings here because um, the war in one capacity or the other has been going on for the past eight years, right? Since the annex, Russians annexation of Crimea and occupation basically of Donbass region. But it's always been, you know, somewhere there, kind of, kind of far. It's like uh, everyone in central and western part of Ukraine always thought, like, hey, this is, this is the war. Yes, it has been going on for a while, and a lot of citizens, I guess, kind of, got used to the fact that uh, there is an ongoing threat that Russia will escalate it and go further and, and you know, invade the rest of the country. And um, we've almost, uh, almost got used to living with this constant back thought in our head. So in the last couple, but in the last couple of months before the full scale invasion started, of course, the, the feelings here, everyone was super tense. Everyone was super tense. And, uh, you know, we were kind of expecting this then, although not believing until the very end that it will ever happen. Because I mean, realistically speaking, I mean, in the 21st century, how something like this can happen is beyond anyone's imagination, right? I mean, for me, I, I couldn't believe that, you know, a major, like a, not a small local conflict, but a major war in the middle of Europe is possible in the 21st century. So most people, I guess, uh, 
were kind of living with this fear that it's going to happen, but also did not really 100% believe that it will. And, well, and to that end, I mean, what I'm just trying to f frame and kind of contextualize everything that you're going through right now and, and the fundraising efforts. For those who might be unclear, what does Russia actually want here? Describe the context of the invasion just really quick. Why did this happen in the first place? I think because they live in such a totalitarian state and because they live in a state where no opposition is even possible, it's unimaginable, right? And uh, they are able, with the help of their media, they are able to put in the heads of their citizens anything, literally anything they want. They thought that they can restore the old order when USSR occupied Ukraine, Poland, uh, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, and so on and so forth. And I assume this was just his first step on uh, how he wanted to restore this. And in reality, just knowing how mad he and his surroundings are, um, they, they truly thought that, you know, everyone will be welcoming them, you know, here for some reason. I have no idea how that is even possible. But um, I, I truly think that uh, that made dictator simply wanted to restore the old USSR until he dies. Uh, but of course, this is not going to happen. What is Zelensky's legacy and image right now? Because it seems like he's being portrayed, at least in the American media, as this sort of war president hero, you know, along the lines of, of, of like the most famous U.S. presidents. Do you think he will have that legacy in Ukraine? We will see. I'll, I'll be very much honest with you. We have a lot of questions for Zelensky. And we have had them before that the invasion started, and this is true, and we still have them, but we kind of put them on hold, all of them. Because right now we are at war, and we are one country, we are unified, and he's our president, and this period. We, you know, we we go with him, and we do everything he says. But just as with, and I don't, I know it's a very uh, loud comparison, I guess, but just if you take historically, take a look at historically, the Churchill was hated internally, right? I mean, he was a terrible prime minister when it comes to internal affairs, yet he was the best war prime minister Britain could have asked for. So we will see, and I guess, you know, the, the history will show uh, what it will be like, but I assume this is going to be very similar for Zelensky. Uh, when, again, we have a lot of questions for him for eternal policies. At the same time, I mean, I, I'm not saying that he's bad. We just have questions. It's, it's, but it's our internal matters, you know, which are, we, we are 100% democratic state. So we would have, you know, Ukrainians, and you need to know something about Ukrainians. We would have questions even for the best freaking possible uh, president in the world. Like, seriously, if you, if you give us the best possible president in the world, we will have a lot of questions for him or her. Uh, so this is the same thing, right? And But all of those questions are on hold right now, and we 100% support Zelensky and his surrounding and everything they're doing. And that's the difference between Ukraine and Russia. You're allowed to have questions. They're allowed to ask questions and be, you know, public about that. And I'll tell you more. And I'll tell you more. Whenever we, our questions are not answered, and the, this is also part of a democratic process. We take them on the street, you know, with a peaceful protest, and we will we will always do that unless, you know, and that's why our rulers always answer the questions because they know that it will take it, you know, if something happens, take it on the street. Let's get into you for a second. So where are you normally living? Where are you based? And where are you living now? Like, have you been displaced by the conflict? 
so me and my family have been uh, kind of going around the country for three and a half months, I think, since the invasion has started. But uh, I'm blessed and thank uh, God, thank the armed forces of Ukraine. I'm back home. Uh, this is this is my home office, actually, guys. I've seen and uh, uh, I am back home in Kyiv, Ukraine. I'm I'm Kyiv native. Uh, this is my home. So, but um, the 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 full scale invasion has started. You know, caught us on a ski retreat. We were we were on a family vacation with everyone uh, in the mountains in the western part of Ukraine. So we kind of, and and I quickly had to establish my volunteer efforts. You know, just put them on rails on a much larger scale than they ever were before. So and uh, for those purposes, it would be and for the safety of my family, it would be best to, at that point at least to stay in the western part of Ukraine. So we stayed there. I was just like going around there all the time, picking up supplies and driving them wherever needed uh, and stuff like that. So. We, we spent three and a half months doing that, and then we were able to return home. And was it the annexation of Crimea that prompted you to start fundraising in the first place? Was it because at that time you saw a need in the armed forces for equipment, for repairs, for you know an infusion of funds that they were able to fight to their full capacity? Yes. The reality is the previous president who was basically put by Russia Yanukovych right I mean whom we overthrown with the revolution then um, he uh, he basically destroyed the army Ukrainian army he sold everything the uh, the army had and we had a very you know, pretty decent army at that point uh, so our army by 2014 and that of course has been a very deliberate KGB strategy strategy for you know 10 10 years at least. Uh, to weaken the the Ukrainian army, and uh, so we had nothing by 2014. Uh, so everyone in Ukraine has been pitching in, you know, kind of uh, just uh, you have 10 bucks, perfect. You have 100 bucks, amazing, um, and just bringing the guys whatever they need. I'll I'll be honest with you. In 2014, we our our guys did not have a uniform. Wow. Uh, so yeah, most of that stuff. I mean. Only, only some units did, but um, because we we never thought we would need, need an army, <laughs> realistically. I mean, in twenty first century, in the middle of Europe, right? So we all started pitching in. We all started doing this volunteer work. But for the past eight years, it was now I realized that it was on a very childish scale, uh, just compared to what it is now. Uh, of course, you know, before that, I I, I never did that officially. I, I'm just everyone knows me as a as an honest person. Whoever wanted to donate money, they would donate to my personal account, uh, you know, and I would spend all this money on whatever the guys on the front lines needed. But when the full scale invasion started, that's when that when basically everything got very real, and uh, you realize the scale of how much is needed in a modern warfare and uh, how much it is, you know regular people's responsibility to make sure that they feed their army so that tomorrow they don't have to feed an occupier's army right so that's that's when we kind of took it to the next level do you feel that with your organization steel wings that you are a person of suspect or are in danger at all or do you think that your organization is under the eyes of of putin or the russian army at all yeah, every Ukrainian activist is, yeah. every American activist is, and I'll be very much, you know, whenever you watch those movies, uh, 
from the 80s about the evil KGB agents who who have the list of you know of those active people all across the world and you think oh yeah right like that is true that is true uh, and uh, this is one thing and one thing about Ukrainians we've been screaming about evil right not only Ukrainians Ukrainians Polish Lithuanians because I mean we kind of we lived through this in you know for the 70 years of the USSR occupation and we've been screaming to the world that those guys are really crazy like seriously they live in a different paradigm of uh, you know and uh, system of coordinates completely so yeah most likely most likely i i do not uh, rule out that i'm on the rise of some kind of agency there but one thing you need to understand that everyone in ukraine literally 40 million people are doing exactly the same thing in a different way i just started doing it officially and on a much larger scale but realistically everyone is a volunteer here everyone who is not holding a gun or is not a medic uh at war everyone is fundraising for some kind of because in this war you every ukrainian has a relative or a friend a childhood friend or a neighbor somewhere on the front lines literally like there is no family not affected by this is citizen activism pretty common in Ukraine since the annexation, or has it really been yes. ratcheted up in the last few months? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, one thing, and I lived in the U.S. for, I don't know, five years, and before that in Costa Rica for two years. One thing which bothered me whenever I came back, I came back home, that level of activism before 2014 was not on the level which I personally saw it in, in the United States, for example, right? And at that point, of course, we had different type of activism required, right? Uh, uh, we were not thinking about fundraising for army. Uh, but in 2014, it skyrocketed. And then since uh, the full-scale war, it, it has just hit the roof. I've never seen a level of self-organization and activism like this anywhere. And I traveled literally all across the world. I lived in multiple countries. And uh, before 2014, it was not common for Ukrainians at all. Everyone was just like living their own lives and uh, not really caring about anything going on around them. I think it's really inspiring to grassroots fundraisers and organizers in general to see what's going on. Because I, I mean, at least... Where I'm from in the U.S., there tends to be kind of a like a cynical perception that fundraising campaigns on a grassroots level don't really make a huge impact. Um, like I can only imagine what people might say if I started a fundraiser to equip the U.S. military and thought I could make any significant contribution to an organization that massive. And that's not clearly the case in the Ukraine. Um, you're making a difference when we can see that in real time do you think it's the scale that that's the big difference one thing about grassroots fundraising which i realized is very very important is to not you know kind of shoot for the stars right away is make sure that you understand whom you're helping how you're helping when you were when we were talking and uh, even on my level and i've raised like millions of hryvnias uh, like hundreds of thousands of dollars of course already right we are not talking about I'm, I'm not changing the grants you know scheme of things i personally but there are specific people let's say those are usually 10 units which i work with 10 units and that's it for whom everything i do is a huge difference it, it's just night and day and it can be anything it can be from you know uh, bringing the actual required equipment like a drone 
uh, you know, to, to, to their unit. Or it can be making someone's life a little bit easier and uh, getting them something which is not which is not given to them by the standards, right? I mean, a sleeping bag. <laughs> I'm just making this up. But it, it can be anything. And you understand that when you when you go into that, if you are a grassroots fundraiser and you go on the grassroots level, you realize that everyone, anywhere you are, you are making a huge difference because you are helping specific people, not just a massive organization. Uh, over over here, you know, in the media, we heard about it every day for the first, you know, two, three, four months. We still hear about it a lot. If you went to NewYorkTimes.com right now, you would absolutely see multiple articles about Ukraine. But I'm curious, how do you as an organizer hope to keep that in the spotlight? And how is the coverage in Ukraine? Like, how, what are you reading in your news? In, in Ukraine, the time has stopped. We we do not read about anything else and i don't think that we will until the war you know ends uh and until we win this war of course we're trying to live normal lives and uh, you know most people know i'm a heavy metal blogger so i try to do the heavy metal blog just to keep myself sane because if not if you don't live for yourself and if you don't do things which you love it's it's literally very easy to go insane uh, in such circumstances, but overall, the general news all are about the war. Uh, it's just like you read in books about Second World War, right? I mean, literally the same thing. You turn on the news, and you, you know, you you see the reporters straight from the front lines or something like that. Uh, unfortunately, how we, how I as an organizer and and a fundraiser, am trying to keep people, um, you know. I don't want to say interested in this because it's uh, just just remind about it is by doing interviews like these and i'm very thankful to you guys uh for inviting me on your show and uh, by constantly reminder reminding my subscribers on uh, on youtube you know about everything that is going on and fundraising through them as well and i'm very thankful to all of them who've been helping me to raise a significant amount of money and i just want to underline um that none of this is normal and uh, we as a society as a global society who lives by certain rules with all its flaws of course we have a lot of flaws in our western civilization but still we have certain rules we have certain boundaries maybe. values boundaries yeah, values i mean we are not animals just uh, you know whatever anyone says and uh, it is seeing human suffering and especially human suffering so close to you because to everyone this is just right here in the middle of europe literally the geographical center of europe is in ukraine uh, none of this is normal and we need to remember about this and the moment any of us starts thinking hey i'm getting tired of these news you know and you know why they have nothing else to talk about well there is a reason for that because nothing like that had, has happened since 1945 and uh, this is the end of the world order if, as we know it, and we'll need to rethink it altogether. Uh, well, and, and politically, uh, this has been kind of a, a contentious subject on how much or how little the rest of the world should get involved in Ukraine. So from on the ground where you're at, what are the global repercussions of this? I think a lot of people in the U.S. who are maybe more on, I think the majority are, is, is very much in favor of, you know, some kind of intervention, but there are some who would say, 
it's so far away. It has nothing to do with us. Like, why why should we send money and, and arms to a you know a country that and, and and involve ourselves in a foreign war? What would you say to, to those people? One thing you need to understand is we have been cursed because and uh, and blessed at the same time because we speak Russian. I mean, I I was forced to speak Russian as a little kid because I was born in USSR. My la- my language is Ukrainian, of course, but we can see their news and see what they're talking about. And just one thing I want to point out and make everything, I want to make it clear, Putin did not declare a war on Ukraine. Putin declared a war on the Western world. As we know it, once again, with all its flaws, but still certain values and beliefs and, you know, system of boundaries. He wants to reshape the world and Ukraine uh, is just a first step and he is very much open about this. Like they are not hiding it. And every time, everywhere, they're saying that after Ukraine, it's Poland. After that is Germany. After that is France. Like I mean, they literally saying that out loud all the time. So we need to stop him here. Uh, and we will stop him here. And I just want to point out, this is the fight of the free world against tyranny not ukraine against tyranny a free world against tyranny because he has declared and they have declared once again it's not putin who is doing that and it's not putin who is raping 12 year old girls in occupied cities it is the you know regular people whom we say that you know they are not involved in this they are very much and they very much support this uh because they've been bred for that and uh, you know fed this information for years but uh on their state media and everywhere from every corner of their media they keep saying this is the fight against the western world and so with that in mind is there an opinion among ukrainians that there should be more military intervention from other countries in the beginning we thought so and we've been pleading for for everyone to send their army uh to to help us out uh, you know i at this point, we realize it is not going to happen, at least, you know, as it is right now. So we just keep saying, OK, we will stop them. And, you know, we have our we have our uh, thing with Russians, uh, you know, after the Soviet occupation, we don't really like them that much. Uh, so, you know, and we, we are happy to do that. Just make sure you support us in any other way possible. Give us this technology. Uh, just give us everything, the you know the intelligence, everything needed, and we will do it ourselves. But just make sure that you know that supply is continuous, and we you know, and uh, we just basically don't run out of bullets. You said Putin's goal is to reshape the Western world, but his war, at least his invasion thus far, hasn't really gone exactly how he planned. It seems um, it doesn't seem like. Russia was quite prepared for a long, drawn-out military conflict, which is what they're getting, and maybe didn't respect the resilience of the Ukrainian people and the military to be as strong as it is. You said you're back in Kiev after having been moving around the country for a while. How has the war changed over the past month or two, and how has the changing nature of the war affected your fundraising efforts? The the, the reason why I partially legalized my fundraising efforts and uh, created an official fund, an official foundation, international charitable foundation, uh, was because 
the requests, all of the requests became not as immediate as they were in the first days. The first days were crucial. You had to be very quick. I couldn't waste, and I'm, I'm not, you know, exaggerating here. I couldn't waste an extra hour on bringing in a supply, uh, you know, whatever it is needed, because every hour is, you know, 10 or 20 people's lives. Uh, so you, you do everything as quick as possible. At this point, you are allowing yourself to spend an extra day on ordering things and bring them to, you know, to the front lines. This it, people still die. Uh, people is still the same, but we are at least we have this basically the flow, right? The chi the chain is working basically, right? I mean, we are bringing in constant supplies all the time to the front lines, so it's a little bit it's a little bit better. So, in terms of my fundraising efforts, I simply started raising money on more um, on things which actually make more difference, but bring them, you know a little bit less often as I did before. In the beginning, I and I, the first two weeks of the invasion, all we've been doing is bringing in bulletproof vests and helmets. This is how bad it was. And uh, because, and every bulletproof vest is a saved life. It's that simple. And, uh, you know, and you had to do that very, very quickly because no one had one in Ukraine. Now that is not a problem. Everyone has one and this is great. Uh, then we were bringing in only thermal uh, visioners, you know, those night monoculars, uh, you can see people moving at night based on their body temperature and everything. Uh, and those were, you had to do that very quickly because it's a matter of life and death as well, you know, on the positions, on the front lines. And we now do that and we do drones, we do uh, just, you know, more uh, technological equipment, I guess. And of course, it requires a little bit more time to bring it in, to buy it, find it, research it. So if something, if I used to buy stuff every day now, uh, before that, uh, now I buy, you know, stuff every two days, every three days, and I bring them in like that. So it's slowed down a little bit, but the scale has gone up because the war has become... It's a, it's a little bit more brutal in a way, because at this point, they're not even afraid anymore, Russians, I mean, and uh, they are just shooting civilians, you know, and they're just firing rockets at civilian buildings all the time. Uh, so you need to find equipment which will, you know, stop that or prevent that or help, you know, our guys on the front lines de detect those artillery places and uh, help help us save life basically but it takes a little bit more time where do you see ukraine moving forward from here uh in a year from now where do you think ukraine will be and if the war is won where does what does ukraine say to the world i i think at this point everyone can place ukraine on the map at least which is a great thing yeah, when, I came I think so. US, when i came into the us for the first time everyone was like Ukraine, like a lot of people knew, right? Uh, but some others were like, "Well, this is like, uh, where is that exactly?" <laughs> yeah. And so I, this is a first and a very good step. Ukraine has shown, I, at least I hope, I hope so. But uh, in my personal opinion, Ukraine has shown, you know, that we will fight for our values, and we we are we have very strong values. We are not slaves. We will live, you know, under our rules, no matter what. 
you cannot really force us to do so. We will never live under tyranny. But uh, and we will this win this war and we will start rebuilding Ukraine. And I hope and I, I'm sure that Ukraine will become a very open uh, state. And uh, we would love to open the borders completely and, uh, you know, in, invite people to just come and see how how it is life to live in the bravest country in the world. <laughs> And what aren't people seeing? So, like, the war is obviously being covered pretty extensively, but what do you think people at home should know about what's going on in Ukraine on the ground that they might not know from TV or might not be aware of from the news? I always say one thing. Before before this thing broke out, I had a regular job. I have two daughters and uh, I have my wife and I have a good middle class job. I have two cars. Uh, I, you know, we, we look forward, we looked forward to a vacation and, uh, you know, wanted to go to a sea resort and in, uh, in Turkey, um, we love traveling around. We have our plans and we were in a ski resort with my mother-in-law and my, <laughs> my mother and my sister. So we, are a very regular family, a family which you can find in any town in the US, literally. And uh, once again, you might have thought that Ukrainians lived some different life. No, it's very similar to the one in the United States. We are, you know, we look the same, we, we walk the same, we talk the same, and uh, we breathe the same air. And then in a matter of minutes, that life disappeared. Just imagine one thing that you have your life, you have your home, you have your, you save up for a vacation to go to, I don't know, Mexico uh, or anywhere else. And then in one day, in one minute, all of those dreams disappear because you hear an air raid alarm, an air siren in the 21st century. And yes, believe me, I, just like you, cannot imagine it right now. You know, could not imagine something like that happening ever to me because it's the 21st century. You do not wake up at five in the morning, you know, from rocket shootings. But it did happen. And uh, I always want to, you know, point out that regular people just like you are, are suffering here on a daily basis. It does not... And the world does not look at your income, your color of skin, or the language you speak, or your upbringing. It does not. The rockets shoot, you know, they kill everyone pretty much the same. So something like that happened, and it's still going on. And once again, it doesn't matter how much money you have, how rich you are, and what, or, you know, what college you went to. Uh, everyone is in the same boat. And it all just happened within several minutes, and it's still going on. So please... Please do not normalize this in your head because I know it can be easy because I unfortunately was the same ignorant person up until recently. And when the war broke out in Syria, I was very worried for the first two weeks. And then I started, you know, switching the channel. But I just want to point out that this thing is very real and please do not normalize any of this in your head at all, ever. Do not allow this to yourself. This is just my cry to the world because, once again, I'm just like you, Evan knows. <laughs> Regular guy.
<laughs> well, I, I wanted Vlad to talk a little bit more about Steel Wings because I'm actually not sure we've gone into too great detail on it. So what exactly are you raising money for specifically? What are you kind of asking people for? And how does the whole operation work? So basically, yeah, Steel Wings Foundation was launched uh, just not not so long ago. Once again, we've been operating for, for a long time, but an official charitable international organization has been launched just uh, a month ago or so. And um, our goal right now is to is twofold. Number one is to help the guys on the front lines immediately. So very quick, as I said, I, I slow down, uh, but in reality, it takes like from a request put in from a, a comp- con- very specific person on a front line or very specific unit on front lines that they need this, uh, you know, from us bringing that to the front line, you know, it just takes a couple of days. Uh, and this is quicker than any governmental organization can ever do this because it, it, it is, it is uh, just regular people who work as volunteers. We have zero operational costs because everyone is doing everything pro bono. Everyone, uh, not one person is taking money for this uh this is this is very important no so everything people donate 100 percent of this goes directly to you know to support the guys the boys and girls on the front lines with drones with thermal visioners uh with binoculars so basically the optics or with medical equipment whenever we get requests from medics because those happen quite often as well in addition to that now we started receiving a lot of requests uh from those who you know just regular civilians who were affected uh, by the war in one way or another uh and uh, right now we are diverting them to you know our friendly organizations just because we do not have sufficient amount of funds yet uh, to help them out as well but in in the future we hope to start helping those families especially you know with young kids uh, who were forced to flee their home so that's what we've been doing. We are raising money actively, and uh, you know, this this is this is this is my main effort right now and my main priority until the war ends. And what's the best way for anyone listening to help apart from visiting Steel Wings? Um, what would you recommend for anyone looking to get involved? There, there are actually a lot of help. Uh, there is a lot of help needed because sometimes you simply you, you know, in addition to monetary donation for which we'll be very very thankful and can go to steelwings.net slash en uh and you know and uh, find a way to donate there but um there is a lot of help needed as well in terms of you know finding stuff sometimes uh, which you cannot find in ukraine or in europe and this happens a lot uh because in the us a lot of stuff is much much more accessible than it is in Europe because of regulations. Uh, so what we what we do as well is, you know, get the help from our American friends, for example, and who are able to find stuff and uh, ship it to at least ship it to Poland and will basically bring it into Ukraine uh, as well. So whoever wants to help out, we will be very thankful. Uh, just reach out to us via email and we'll you know, be very happy to, to give you some job to do. Just one thing, and I want to just point it out once again, everyone who is involved in, and all of my friends who are involved here are doing everything pro bono. And uh, we are not receiving a penny for this. And whoever wants to help out, just please do not expect that there will be any compensation for that because unfortunately we're not able to do that at the moment. 
we'll make sure to put a link to Steel Wings in the uh, in the show notes and any anything else, any other charitable organizations. We'll make sure people have a a quick and easy way to access that. Well, thanks for coming on to talk about this, Vlad. You're doing some incredible work. Hopefully, we'll be able to catch up at some point in the future under better circumstances. Would love to. Would love to. We're glad uh, you and your family are staying safe and keep up the good work. Thank you, Tim. Evan, thank you so much, guys. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to No Blackout Dates. Make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us, of course, a five-star review. And if for some reason you want to follow what we're up to, I'm EvanFlow underscore on Instagram, and he's TimWinger1. Also, a big shout-out and thanks to our producer, Alex Halkey, executive producer, Katie Hetrick, our email marketing guru, Kelsey Wilking, the Matador social crew, and everyone else on the team who puts up with us on a daily basis. And we will catch you guys later.